Welcome to On Demand, where startup B2B SaaS companies come to grow. When it comes to demand generation, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. That's why we created this podcast, to help founders and marketers like you unlock a combination that's right for your business. Let's get into it. Andy Holland, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, and thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's an absolute privilege. I'm pleased to do this. I've been following your content, as we were just saying, for some time, and I think there's a lot of value that we're going to cover in this episode. So, yeah, really, really excited to get into it. Let's start with the usual introductions. Who are you? Where do you work? And also, tell me a little bit more about why you're so passionate about SEO like me. Yeah, my name's uh, Andrew Holland. I work at a digital PR and SEO agency called JBH. So we've been going for about 10 years now. We're ranked the fastest growing digital PR agency, I think, in 2022. And uh, yeah, we're basically a specialist link building agency in, in all truthness. And I'm director of SEO there. So I've been brought in the last couple of months to actually shape their SEO offering, develop that because the way I always liken it is digital PR is like the fuel for the aircraft and SEO is like the pilot. And they haven't had that They've worked with a lot of SEOs before and a lot of SEO managers, but this allows them to offer SEO as a service to people who need it. So I'm building at that. And the reason why I'm passionate about SEO is because I think SEO is probably one of the most untapped marketing channels there is. We know that people are making millions out of SEO. We know that it's a really great channel, but unfortunately, it's thrown under the performance marketing buzz too often. And uh, you know, and I'm I'm fighting for its corner, so to speak. Excellent. Well, I'll be one of your corner men for sure because I'm absolutely, absolutely agree with you. And maybe we'll get into some examples later on in the episode about exactly that, where where I and probably you as well have undertaken some SEO sort of in the background and then seen the results flourish, and then people wonder where all of these this great results have come from. Before we do that, I think what I'm really interested in is just set the scene because this podcast is primarily for SaaS founders, early stage founders, and and early marketing hires. Sometimes I think there is a real confusion around SEO, and there's a lot of overcomplication sometimes of what SEO is. So I thought what it might be useful to start with is just a quick sort of overview of the origins of Google search particularly when it comes to kind of the academic world. And then we can use that maybe as a foundation for a discussion into to some, of, some of the other areas. So if I, if I maybe kick off and you fill in any blanks as I go, my understanding is that effectively Google search was founded on the idea of the academic citation model. So academic papers are published by researchers around the world, and then other researchers see those papers and then cite that research in their own work. And it's those citations that build the authority over time we translate that into the digital world, those citations are effectively links. They're other people with authority saying, this person saying something interesting and linking to it. Is that a, a fair synopsis, oversimplified or what? I think you're showing your age there. <laughs> you're going to the very, very early stages of what really the web is. And then, and then that was what the internet was based on. And Google was the better way for it to find and rank those papers in terms of worth based on the end. But yeah, you've said it in utter clarity there. Bang on as far as I'm concerned. And I think the reason why that's important for listeners as well is that we can easily get sidetracked with the dark arts of SEO, if you like. But the reality is, at its core, good quality SEO is about, I mean, from my perspective, there's two things. Quality content that people want to link to and then making sure that you get those links and try and get them at scale from good other sites that have authority in your space. So two things, it's it's quality content and it's having really good quality backlinks to that content. That's really it in a nutshell. 
Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna end this. We're gonna wrap this podcast up in a minute because, like, <laughs> like show. yeah, the reality is exactly how you said it. SEO is quality content and links. Technical SEO has probably been oversold a little bit too much as the savior and sites have tried to get near perfect scores. And I understand why. And there is definitely there's some room for technical SEO. There is out there, but but at its core, technical SEO really is very much almost like one foot, if not both feet, in the web dev pool. Whereas SEO is actually about network science. It's about the quality of that research paper, that content that you point out there, and also the vote to it. And I think we'll probably modernize it a little bit. And it's not just anymore about the votes to the necessarily to the content, but votes to the individual creators themselves about who they are as well. So I think for those people who I hate to say this, who are younger than us listening to this podcast, you've simplified SEO down to its core, content and links. And those are the still the most two most valuable metrics that anyone can look to do to, to get greater SEO presence. So I'm just interested to take a step back for a few minutes to just discuss how SEO has changed over time. I remember the days, I was thinking about this in preparation for the call. 12 years ago, I started doing SEO. That was when I was working in a smaller agency with local businesses and gray hat and black hat techniques were, were very much the thing. And it was a lot easier to rank back in the days for, for those target keywords, particularly for local businesses. Does that does that ring true for you? Have you ever, do you want to have a confessional here? Have you ever engaged I, in those sorts of, uh, sorts of practices? Yeah, I mean, I sort of have a really weird background of SEO, but I, I was doing it for myself as a hobby before I did it professionally anyway. And then I did it as part of my work in the police years ago, which is where I originally learned SEO, so to speak, but a very different sort of SEO. Still the same model. But yeah, I mean, I was laughing the other day when I saw this new SGE come out for the Google Search Generative ex- Experience. And I thought, ah, I was like pointing at the screen saying, that's an article spinner. That's an article spinner. And you, we're really showing our age for anyone listening here that used to have things called article spinners where you'd put content in and it, it turn it around and it'd throw it out and Google would penalize spun content. You know, that was the, the name of the game. Whatever it really did or didn't, it was just very poor quality content generally anyway. So it wasn't really something you wanted to put your name to. But I remember article spinners coming out and they were all the rage. And I think it's funny how things change, but they still stay the same. But now it's okay to spin articles, it seems. So, you know, there you go. Exactly. I remember the days of spin tax where you'd spend hours and hours and hours getting the spin tax right on the on the articles that it would spit out. And you would have just been better off writing the article in the first place. That was always that was always the joke between me and some friends in the industry was there was more time spent on the hacks to get the quick wins than if you'd actually got in and done the work in the first place. Yeah, but everyone loved the shiny sales page. So if, <laughs> if, if everyone remembers the Warrior Forum sales pages and this, oh wow, the special backgrounds are very similar. My we goodness. Are, we are really old. <laughs> <laughs> So if we think about how SEO has changed over time, and again, thinking very much about the listener, this is somebody who's probably quite new to SEO. They've got a website, perhaps quite thin in terms of the content. How would you say that the principles of of core good quality SEO have changed over time? Like, Where have been the big pivots that are relevant to this discussion moving forwards? There's a couple of areas with SEO that, that we've got massive problems. We've got a massive industry problem, and that is that our marketing of SEO is absolutely atrocious. As an industry, one of the things I've tried to do with a book I've written and, and generally is my post on LinkedIn is that we win when we activate a greater share of the marketing budget. And this is the problem we've got. It's all the evidence says that we deserve a greater share of the budget, but we don't get one. And we don't get one, not based on principles. We get one, we don't get the greater share based on internal metrics and measurements of, of sales targets and things like that. And we can 
talk about that shortly. But I think from a potential point of view in terms of where's SEO evolved, I do think that people are starting to take it more seriously. Now, when I say more people taking it more seriously, I'm talking like like 10% more maybe. You know, it's still nowhere near what it should be. But the market is growing rapidly. We're now getting more professional tools that are worth millions and and are being put out there, like SEMrush being publicly listed. I think was a massive step in the direction. I'm I'm a huge SEMrush fan. I think as a tool is actually starting to become one of the best out there from in terms of business data as well as not just SEO. But I'm a massive fan of what they're doing in terms of their marketing. They're they're making SEO education hugely available, affordable, and also giving lots of opportunities for people to jump into the marketplace. Now, hats off, I do speak to the, the team from SMRush. They're very great people, they're friendly people, but it's it's not why I'm saying that. What I'm saying is I think their education point of view is really good and, and it's it's going all over the place and they're having new tools and they're opening it up and being publicly listed is another thing that, that people are starting to take SEO seriously. So I, I think from an evolutionary point of view, Tactics-wise, I think it's still the same as it always has been. Just it's just evolved a little bit. We've become a bit, a bit smarter, and, and but in terms of an industry-wise, I think the evolution is the respect we're starting to get. We're starting to get people putting eyeballs on SEO, and and that's I think the big change. Brilliant. So let's just double click on principles. We're effectively talking about very, very good quality content, the highest quality content you can put out there, content that attracts people to links to your site, and then earning those links drives the authority. And that's where tools like SEMrush or Ahrefs start to show the authority of your site using other metrics. So it is tangible in that sense. You can start to see the authority building over time. That's the foundation. That's the building block of the conversation. One of the things that I often hear from founders, though, is they tend to prioritize paid search and performance marketing over SEO. There are a number of reasons, but primary are speed to results or perceived speed to results, and also the resources required to execute proper SEO versus performance marketing. Let's sort of take the opposite position here. Paid search versus organic search. You go with the organic search. What's what's the argument for prioritizing that overpaid? I love the PPC versus organic search fight because it's not really a fight in any case. So I've got friends who do PPC. I'm a massive fan of paid search. So if you're a SaaS business starting up and you're going after a certain person, you do really need paid search. And you need to invest probably a lot more of your budget into paid search because you've got to get users. Unless you get users on the platform and activate them and you work out your sales funnel and all that kind of stuff and and get your conversion metrics and get feedback from real users, it's a really tough proposition to try and go to investors for second seed funding, you know, and you got your seed and your various rounds of funding. So you've got to get users and that's that's what paid search comes in, be that Facebook ads, PPC we're going to be talking about, display, whatever. It it works. And there's definitely a case for smashing some of your budget early on or the majority of the budget in PPC. The problem comes is the addiction with PPC. And in terms of what it does, it gives you a metric of these are the sales. Now, if you want to invest in SEO, you've got to take out of that part of that sales. So if you've got a ROAS of eight or whatever, or six to eight, great return. You've got to take out that ROAS and then reinvest it into search. And that's the uncomfortable thing because what you're starting to look at is loss aversion. Hey, no, that's my money. You can't take it out of the pot. Now, the actual fact of most startups isn't their money, it's the, the investor's money. But it's aside from that, investors really want to see return on, on their investment. Now, if we look at click-through rate studies, the majority of click-through rate studies show that PPC captures a very small amount of mar- the market. 
very few amount of people actually click on those paid ads. We scroll down, and no matter what they've done to try and disguise them, people scroll down. When you're actually attacking that, you're actually attacking a very small amount of the market. You're bidding against competitors, so you're not even there visibly all the time. So you get swapped around depending on your ad structure and your bidding structure, and you capture a tiny point, and it's the same amount that everyone else is probably bidding on unless they're spending more money. And as a result of people bidding more for the same terms, your cost per click goes up, so your cost per acquisition goes up. So in the end, acquiring customers becomes very expensive. Now, the... The reason why SEO organic search is, is so powerful is because it, it usually goes after three three particular parts. One, it goes after those same people that PPC are going after, but you also, so you capture more of today's buyers. The people that are willing to need to buy today and looking for a solution and decide to buy, you will capture some of those with PPC. If you're ranked organically, you will capture far more and you won't pay for the cost. That's the great thing about it. It's a competitive advantage compared to others. And that's what it is. It's a competition. You're winning. It's a competitive advantage. The other thing it goes after is SEO reaches people who are researching into the category. They're not ready to buy yet. And you're doing that. You're almost advertising your business by showing up, answering questions, by being the trusted advisor, by maybe even getting them off search entirely and getting their inbox. That's that's a big goal. And what you're doing is you're basically doing that in the hope that when they do decide to buy and they go back to the search engines, either what happens is they search for you navigationally for you, so you acquire them at no cost, or they search again for the broad terms that you're bidding on BBC and they see your brand and say, oh, I recognize them, I remember them, but they're the ones I want to go for. And, and that's it. So you're acquiring them again at less cost than your competitors, uh, the competition is. And then the other thing it does is it reaches people who aren't in the market to buy. You know, if you're a SaaS business like Sage or someone like that, uh, you know, and you give it, you're an accounting software, you can give advice on small business marketing and reach people who aren't ready to swap accounting software, but you can reach them, become their trusted advisor, expose your brand to them at scale for free virtually. And it is really for free because the component parts of SEO is that you're paying for SEO activity, not paying for a click. And that, that's the difference. And that's the thing that people kind of get, kind of get the head around it or struggle to is the fact that you're paying for SEO activity. And that's the metric you judge your SEO performance on. The activity that then trans- translates into the tangible marketing success because you you can measure that. But yeah, so SEO organic search reaches those three potential uh, marketplaces. So, you know, the people not in the market, the people researching the market, and the people ready to buy. Whereas PPC generally only targets a small amount of the people ready to buy. And that isn't a long-term marketing tactic anyway. And as a result, what we're seeing all around is, and it's been quite widely reported in the long and the short of it, which is 10 years old by Les Burnett and the IPA, we're starting to see that brands aren't growing that aren't enjoying all the benefits of, of increased brand growth, which is either selling your goods at a higher price in the competition, making more profits, or selling more volume at the same price, the two main benefits of, of brand marketing. And organic search is a different element to brand marketing. It is. It does things really effectively. It does things slightly less effectively than other marketing channels, but it gives a lot for the value. So there's a lot there that I would agree with for sure. And it's very hard for me to take an opposing view on it, to be honest, but I will try. I think with with paid search in particular, the benefit of paid search is the granularity, it's the testing, it's the ability to refine messaging, it's the ability to do large scale testing. It's good if you've got a large audience that you can try and get in front of. But as you say, quite rightly, the level of intent is completely different. 
I suppose to maybe counteract some of the SEO, you mentioned sort of no cost a few times, and I know you elaborated on it, but I'm going to take the opposing view. Some people do believe that the SEO is zero cost, but the reality is the cost structure is completely different. You do have to invest in the content. You do have to invest in PR or link building. It is a cost. It might not be a financial cost, but it might be a, a time cost as well. But I suppose to endorse or in, uh, go along with what you're saying in terms of SEO, two company names I would use here as as proof that this is effective g2.com and hubspot when you look at their growth they weren't in the early days they weren't advertising on google search paid ads they weren't in that space they grew to the sorts of results that they got as a result of really really aggressive seo but the thing is it's a long-term play it's not a short-term quick fix so i personally love a blended approach i love a bit of both but i think there definitely needs to be more of a tilt towards SEO if you want to be in it for the long term, if you want to develop that authority. I'm also a massive fan of Les Bonnet's work. And if you're in it for the long term and you are prepared to invest longer term, SEO is the way to go to develop the brand and develop the authority. And then paid search is there to capture that demand as you start to generate more of it. A hundred percent. The problem with paid search is it's an addiction. And it's an addiction that's actually that from an, an economist point of view, the idea is we always have this, what's the ROI of SEO? <laughs> it's always, I mean, I still can't believe we're even having this because the ROI of SEO is, is realistically not realized until you're actually on the, on the first page and generating your traffic or generating, and, and for whatever queries that is, and what each keyword that you rank for has its own little ROI and own little measurement, and it's, and it's far too complicated to get into. And we try and measure it and, and, and break down and reporting call and, and, and try and, rip it apart because people are always trying to say, well, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, for me, if you want to invest in SEO, there are other things to invest in. Go spend on TV ads and see how that, how that fares for you. Go invest on radio. You know, there is only so many channels available to people and available to marketers. You can go and make a huge conference event. Go to a trade show. There's a million ways in which you can aggressively market. You can get a sales team that, that makes appointments, that knocks on doors, that sends out brochures. You can. There's so many different avenues to it. You won't be able to knock on as many doors as SEO can when you activate it. And it's a competitive marketing channel in terms of it's weird in terms of it's not easy to explain to people because you have to have the top authority, so to speak. You know, you have to have the backlinks, you have to have the PR, you do the backlink building, whatever you're trying to get into it. But when you get that advantage, that advantage is hard for a competitor to overtake. And that's the point. It is a slow well, I mean, it can be sped up. We know that with money because, like I say, it's not free. You know, you want faster results, invest more money. We know that. But it's an investment rather than a cost. But the thing with, with I mean, that's a whole different subject about the speed of investment and things that you should be doing for SEO. But once you've got it, once it's there, somebody has to do a considerable amount more of investment to reach you. And it's it's why if I was a business owner now in terms of I was a SaaS investor and things like that, and we've got our initial money coming in and, and we've got a use, we've proved the use case for, for our model, I'd be asking investors for money for investing SEO. I'd say, let me go after SEO. Let me go after digital PR. Let me use this. I want to be everywhere. Let's build this moat around our business that's going to be hard for the competitors to catch up with. And I see it all the time in calls and consulting calls with people when, when I look at their website and look at their competitors and they're light years ahead and they've grown massively over the last 12 months because they've invested in SEO and they haven't. And now they're saying, well, how much will it cost? And you realize they realize now, well, to reach there, they're going to have to spend twice as much to capture them 
they're going to spend twice as so much. It's the way I would like an SEO. It's when invested properly, it's like a sprint and a marathon. Somebody's sprinted ahead. They've got that distance and they're still fit enough to carry on going. And now you've got this big gap where you've got to try and make up to even catch up to them in the first place. And that's why at this moment in time, it's a great time to invest in SEO because if you're a SaaS business or anybody else who's a startup and you choose to invest in SEO, then you're going to get further ahead in the competition. And that's exactly what you want. You want to make it so difficult for them to catch up that financially they can't do that. Then they lose market share. And then as you gain your share, you gain those more of those buyers you can reinvest into your other marketing activities and grow that way. So one of the things that that brings up is is the idea of TAM. So if your total addressable market is small, and let's say you're doing keyword research, we're not going to get into the weeds too much on the tactical level here. That might be for another call, or there's certainly a lot of material out there, and your content as well is great. That we, we don't want to get in the weeds too much, but what would you say are kind of the minimum audience sizes or search volumes at least that people should be looking out for if they're a SaaS company? Because I suppose if SEO is, you think, yep, SEO sounds like it could be a play, but actually there are very few people looking for your product or even some of the challenges that your product solves. SEO might not be a good fit. So how do you sort of navigate when a company's audience or TAM is big enough to really invest in SEO? Okay, so there's two things there that I would draw upon. So from a tactical level, it's about what the market size is like now. So if you've got a small search volume, a small market size, go after that organic position, be number one. Spend as much as it case as you can to be number one, two, or three. You know, those are the hot spots. We know that. Once you're there, invest in other marketing that's going to increase search. And that's the truth because it isn't so much as I've worked in some real bad, bad low traffic sectors and, and it makes SEO so hard. It's, it, it's so much harder. There's less feedback from the search engines. It's really challenging. So what I would suggest to anyone is if you're in a low traffic SaaS area like that, invest in SEO and get to number one and then figure out how to increase the search volume in other ways. Now, you can increase the search volume through advertising, through PR, through TV advertising, through getting onto podcasts, through getting onto anything like that. But the point is, you know, social ads. And I'll, I'll give you a, not a SaaS model, we'll give you a tech example, a real life story happened to me. Um, so I was targeted by Remarkable, the e-ink tablet. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Oh, yeah. So I, I love Remarkable tablets and I love it, but I don't own one. So what happened was, is I started getting retargeted and I thought, you know what, I could see, because I was fed up a notebook struggling to find my way and, and plus there's a little bit of a status symbol with it. Saw a guy on the train with one and I went to a client <laughs> meeting and saw one. But I looked at it, the expense is like £500, I think. And for me to justify that expense, that's a lot of paper notepads and a lot of pens. <laughs> so a lot of very nice paper notepads. It, it is. So I went and did what cat- what we've got category research. So if we like look at Google's messy middle, I've been exposed through advertising to something I didn't know existed. So that exposure is, is forced to trigger and to me an internal and external trigger. And the internal trigger is, you know, the external trigger was the advert, got there now, also, external triggers now constantly happen because every time I pick up a notepad and I can't find where I've got, they've exposed the use case to me and it was burning in me. But in truth, I wasn't sure whether I, I wanted it or not. So in my head, I thought to myself, well, can I read ebooks? Can I do that? And I went on a bit of a fact-finding mission. And to be honest with you, Remarkable did a pretty poor job. 
they did a pretty poor job. Uh, I had to rely on YouTube videos, YouTubers, things like that. I read the interviews because this is a £500 product. If I get it wrong, it's not the right one for me. And the other thing, they had a monthly subscription model. So it wasn't just £500. The monthly subscription model was was a bit of a, oh, hold on, I don't really like that. For me to sync my notes and all that kind of stuff. So I ended up stumbling on the Onyx Notebooks too. And terrible website. I wasn't even sure if it was going to show up, if I'm honest with you. It was really weird. And I did a lot of research, and, and all the YouTubers were saying, and all these people put some really great content out there. They had convinced me that this, the books model, was the superior one technologically-wise. So I thought to myself, do you know what? It's a little bit cheaper. I don't have to pay a monthly subscription model. No one's going to really see it with me other than in meetings, and it looks cool anyway. And I can buy a better case. And I thought to myself, oh, I'll go for that one. And now I actually kind of sometimes regret not having the remarkable one because it looks so cool and it's a lot better looking and they've got this keypad thing now. And anything you buy from Onyx is quite a pain in the backside to try and buy. But what happened there was was a classic example of, of triggering organic search. Now, both companies did an appalling job because, one, my actual buying cycle was six months from the exposure to finally purchasing, and Remarkable spent a small fortune on targeting me because they were, they, I had every day I had an ad in my feed, and I clicked on them all. So it cost them a fortune and didn't buy from them because of the poor job they'd done with organic search and the fact that they weren't ranking for the kind of messy middle questions that I was asking for. I had to go and find the information elsewhere. But it's an example of if Remarkable had done a really good job, had ranked for the questions I needed to answer for, had gave me a website experience which was better and, and answered all the things I needed to do, that model would have been pretty tight because even though the search traffic was, is paid, I don't know, a couple thousand million a month, whatever, from Remarkable, I know it's not that massive, even though the search traffic would have been high for the brand and all the questions and things like that, the advertising was increasing that search traffic. And the same mechanics can kind of work for someone else. If you've got that position one rankings, you answer the questions, you do all the things that are sensible from a marketing point of view, you can add extra fuel to that with advertising costs and then cap- capture the existing demand. And that's an example, I think, of what's happening as well at the moment is people sometimes throw out and generate demand for stuff, but they don't rank organically. And I've had a client before now where they spent a fortune on TV ads and they didn't rank organically and they wondered why they got no conversion. So you would think these are quite simple marketing things to solve, but it goes on every day and we're talking big companies. So get ranked, create the content that needs to be created for your consumers, what they want, and you can expand the search traffic to that through advertising. I love that answer, and I would definitely recommend everybody, I will link to it in the show notes, Go, goes and looks up the Google research on the messy middle. There's a lot of gold in there. And your example has also made me smile because I've been on that exact journey. I'm sure that you and I are in exactly the same retargeting lists on Facebook, <laughs> and, and my, my outcome was exactly the same. Well, as there you yours. go. That's, but that's really through. interesting, though, because if that, if you, it, that shows you how many potential customers remarkable are yeah. probably missing yeah. out and handing to competition but also it's a really interesting search tactic because another reason why organic search is so cool because you actually benefit from all of your advertising so any advertising that sends people into the category looking for search you can actually nudge them and steal them your way so so it, it leverages everyone else's advertising as well so that's why it's cool yeah and in terms of an application to a SaaS audience as well be thinking about competitor terms as well i know this this could be another episode all of its own but but competitor versus pages competitor pages can be super helpful in, in just snuffling up that extra traffic from your competitors as well and if you can rank well there there are some examples on the web that are doing it incredibly well where they've got 
20, 30, 40 pages of them versus competitors. So yeah, that that's another way of how you can build out the content that satisfies search traffic that maybe wouldn't necessarily be an immediate thought, you know, you wouldn't go to immediately, but could be in aggregate can drive significant results as well. So yeah, great example. And, and I'm still yet to buy a remarkable tablet. So at some point I might do when they, when they support eBooks perhaps, but anyway, let's move on. I want to talk about now about SEO and PR, because obviously you're at a PR agency, you're there as, as director of SEO. Help me understand your, your thinking, the agency's thinking around bringing you in because it's not a traditional model. A traditional agency would say we do SEO, we do backlinks, backlink building, maybe we do outreach, maybe we do paid backlink acquisition that we don't talk about with anybody else. But there are other things that we do. Give me your sense of like this synergy between SEO and PR and how it applies to your role there. Let's have a baseline, if that's okay. So, so let's yeah. have a baseline and be honest to the universe about SEO and how <laughs> SEO agencies are built. Predominantly, SEO agencies are full of young people. That's the reality of it. Young people who have never built websites, young people who have stumbled into SEO for various reasons, either through apprenticeships and digital marketing, or they left university and they came in as writers and then end up as SEOs. There's a whole range of, of roles like that. So you have people who have seen a little bit of every part of the journey. Probably unlike myself and you, I dare say we've got we've taken websites from scratch and from concepts and everything upwards. But so you have all these young people coming into the industry. The industry, as I put on a post on the other day, someone told me once that agencies are built to extract wealth from people and you know, hopefully that some, some performance happens on, on that. But that was quite a cynical person who said that and who wow. wasn't bothered. I'm kind of like I want to help people grow their business and performance. I'm not like that. But the traditional agency model, you get people in the different positions. You know, you're, you're head of SEOs and you're juniors and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got to figure out the link building thing because that's part of it. You either ignore it. So oh, that's nothing to do with us. You can build your own links or you set up a department to go and do building links. Or, pardon me, or you buy links. And that's the shady bit, isn't it? That's the thing. So if you're doing traditional outreach, the old school fashion is, oh, you create these create of contents and try and outreach it. Yeah, that worked, but it now doesn't. And it's very hard to get that model working right these days. The next bit of outreach is you've got a really cool SaaS tool. Then you actually go and get listed on SaaS tool list posts in your category. Really common sense, not hard to do. Makes sense to do that. Go and get in the you know best XYZ softwares you know list sensible, and you'll get a link, and you'll get a mention, and you'll you'll be on a ranking page, generate users, great stuff. Then you get into the really the majority of link building tactics, which is guest posts sitting on other people's websites, and it's very hard to do. It's very hard to scale. It's very clunky. It's very time consuming. So what people do is they completely outsource it to link building agencies, and those link building agencies will handle the going out. I get pitched them daily on websites I own. And you get a fee and they get a fee and they swap around. Everyone's happy. Everyone's making money. And the clients at the end who's trying to figure out how this works for them see some lift in rankings, sometimes not. Sometimes they get penalized. Depends on the scale of this buying and depend on the source. So that's the that's the baseline of where we're at as an SEO industry right now. It's still very shady because, you know, as I always say to someone, if you want to find out what your agency is doing, ask to see the outreach emails. That just completely throws everyone. It just people they'll start wobbling. Heads will wobble if you do that. So, and there has to be some kind of honesty. We outsource that. That's okay. We outsource it. This is it. We can try and get the average emails. But the reality is that it's not modern. It's old fashioned, and those links don't really have much value. They don't really do much. So, when I exited in my last agency and I was looking around, I felt that a digital PR agency would be definitely a good fit because that's the kind of fuel that was missing from a lot of SEO campaigns I've worked on in the past 
is that linked. How do you build links in a modern era that's not spammy, that's not shotgun link building where you send out a thousand emails? Hey, you shared this on Twitter, you know, and we've 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 got a similar piece of content you might like too. You know, we've all done the really witty, clever emails that you get like, oh, that's the best outreach email ever I've ever had. But will you give me fifty quid for the link? And it's how do you do it in a way that's gives the brand or the business some kind of arbitrage value? How do you do it in a way that's ethical? How do you do it in a way that's displaying what I call displayed expertise to show the the inner expertise outside? How do you do that? How do you do it so you reach more people? How do you do it to gain more publicity? Well, digital PR is that kind of, it falls into that category. And, and JBH gained quite a lot of fame as being a digital PR agency. Yeah, we work with big brands. We've got clients that have millions upon millions of visitors every month. and We've got smaller clients as well. And, and we've got enough data internally to show that digital PR links work and they're working more effectively than ever. Now, I think that's because of Google's uh, NLP and the fact that it can now understand what entities are. It doesn't have to understand the link. You know, links, as Rand Fishkin would say, present a really biased view of the internet. The fact that you are saying someone's great you know, if you get a link from a website that's, that's a really good website to no follow because they don't really know you or they're just that sort of internal policy, why should that be worth less than a website, a link from somebody who's being paid, who's doing it for the reasons it shouldn't work like that and that shouldn't pass any more authority? And because of Google's advances, we're seeing this all the time, that no followers and media mentions have power. They do. And they have power, I think, from a couple of reasons. One, because of that natural language processing. It understands the context of entities. You know, it understands what things are. And then two, I also think that it helps to display his expertise. That, you know, if you're mentioned in media, you know, I, the best SEO tip that I ever, ever received was one of the first ones from a really black hat SEO, believe it or not. And he said to me, he says, do what real businesses do. And if you're a real business in the world, you get publicity because you've got the money to go and get publicity. You do things that get people talking. And that, for me, is is the, the where we're at as a, an SEO industry, is it your job. It's, throw, it's going backwards to the old days of publicity being important. Is, is it an actual fact? It is important. It does showcase your business. So from a, from a link-building perspective from an agency – the idea of adding an SEO arm, and they already had SEO arm in, in the business, by the way. It was it was more uh, performance around the links, not actually as a service. So the idea behind me coming in really is to set the service up so we can utilize our vast link building arsenal. And we've got like nearly 30 people who are full-time digital PR specialists, link builders. We're landing links like we land links every single day. And we know we have minimum link KPIs as well. But more so what we're doing is promoting the business. And we're promoting that business out there in the most ethical, cost-effective way possible. I mean, our, our link costs are very similar to what you pay LinkedIn to be if you to break them down. And also those links don't actually come with any hangovers. And we're seeing all the time now, and we've got clients come to us who are spending like $2 million on links a year, buying them quite openly. And they've had them come to us and, and being smashed. And there's clients come to us who, who have been buying links and don't know they've been buying links. And there's clients who've been doing all different kind of things. And we're seeing link spam updates definitely hit those sites and traffic's drop massively. So I think that's going to get better as machine learning for link spam gets even better and just figures out the fact that those are exact match anchor text. You know, you've got a link from a web page which has got 50 robotic style anchor text on there. It's getting no traffic. They'll, they'll kick that one out and it'll be no value. So I think the game is up a little bit for link buying agencies to a degree. 
it'll always be there. But I think it, for brands that activate digital PR and PR full stop, you're going to get that insane lift because you're actually showing them that you're a real business and that's the play. And I think the get publicity is the key there because to get publicity, you need to be saying something different in a slightly different way. You need to be standing out. You need to have a voice. You need to have a position. And for a lot of a lot of early stage companies, that can be quite hard. It can be quite intimidating that what is our position on this? What do What is our expertise? But I agree with you. If you can get the publicity, you'll reap the benefits. But in order to do that, you have to stand for something and you have to have a a voice as well. And that's that's probably the bigger challenge. And that's why I think it's so interesting that you're inside of a of a PR agency, because I think that it's a logical next step there. And it's a, it's, it's a really interesting model that you've outlined. Two things actually has happened recently. Some agencies are trying to grow digital PR. We see some agencies moving away from digital PR. We were very successful in that. And recently, there's been some announcements about that. And with some, some agencies completely closed down the digital PR side of their business. Some agencies can't get it work, work to work at all. We're quite lucky. In fact, we're, we've got it working. We do it really well. Do it daily. We're very experienced in it. And, and you know, you buy digital PR from us and you start getting results. And that's it's quite an easy transaction. It's a cost thing. You know, people don't, some people don't want to pay. And, and I get that. And But it's more actually, believe it or not, digital PR is actually probably more palatable. Than, than SEO itself because SEO is still this oh what we're getting you know and stuff yeah, and yeah, yeah. we're going to have to uh, content yeah it is and digital PR really it's publicity that you're getting and, and before digital PR was a thing linked to SEO people went after PR because they got publicity and liked it and there was a tangible result from that and that's kind of I think you know if to go to the marketing science PR increases the mental availability of a business. That's the likelihood that a business will be thought of in a buying situation. That's the that's the ultimate lofty goal. It's a form of advertising to a degree. And, you know, some PR, the argument against digital PR would be like, hold on, we've got this link saying experts at XYZ business said, you know, what does that mean? Well, an actual fact is you're getting that in a content that's being read. The journalists are writing that content because they are KPI'd on traffic. They are KPI'd on getting people. So the journalists want stories that they can promote because the newspapers want to expose their ad revenue to people. You know, they want to expose the ads that are shared on their sites, and that's the cycle. The difference between guest posts and link building is that when you write a guest post on a website that's knee-deep, the owner doesn't care about it. The site owner doesn't. They just want the cash. You just want the link for click a tick. And you don't get any of that brand arbitrage that comes as a result of DPR and that brand fame. And when someone's reading a, a piece of content that's a different, like a news article, it's very different than someone's reading a how-to blog article. It's highly likely that you will click on a link in there to investigate what's going on, if that's relevantly placed. And, and even if it's not and doesn't gain you any referral traffic, you're sending all that signals out to Google that the experts at, that, you know, and it's and also you've got all the other things like the data you can produce and stuff. So for me, digital PR is the future of link building, and it's just going to take it's going to take a lot of work for the SEO industry to build around that idea. And I think a lot will have to be dragged kicking and screaming. And and they're already walking around with headless chickens over SGE. So I mean, it's I think the, the SEO industry will see some very tough times ahead in terms of many agencies will struggle to get their head around what the future is like and struggle to adapt around it. But much like SEO itself, it's about building out the capability, isn't it? You, you're probably light years ahead of some of your competition in terms of the capability and the links and connections that you've got already. That's going to put you ahead of the game. In effect, you are 
you are to go back to your marathon analogy, you've been running for a very long time. And then if anybody wants to piggyback, they can for a fee, but it's going to be difficult for others to catch up if they're, if they're starting from a standing start to try to, try to compete with you. So super interesting. And it's a fascinating model. I'm really, really interested to see, see where it goes. So let's just think about some top tips. You've got a SaaS founder on the call listening to this, want to get started, not necessarily ready to go full SEO, PR, just yet, but want to make some steps in the right direction. One of the tips I often give to, to founders is speak with your other portfolio companies. See if you can find opportunities for you to be on their site, to be listed on their site, to guest post on their site. It's something that you can do as long as it's contextually relevant and the content's high value. That's one way to start to earn some some links. Uh, any other quick tips? I don't want to necessarily give hacks, but that's where people are going to be when they're listening to this is how can I get started? And things like that are just an opportunity for them to get started. I tell you, this is the most basic failure of SEOs across the across the UK and probably US. Audit your existing assets and relationships and leverage those. That's the first protocol. You know, how many sites can do you know? How many people do you know with websites that are relevant? And also, how many people you know relationships? Audit your audit your like um, I was going to say. Rolodex, I was going to say. <laughs> I really. <laughs> that oh, man, we're so old. <laughs> you know, get out your address, but get out your contacts. Go down and who do you know? Who's in your inbox? Things like that. Can you ask for links, you know, and, and things? I think that's the first port call, and, and that, that itself can be a big job. And I think from, from that point on, is I think an objective should be for businesses how do I get the conversation started? What do I need to say and do, and where does that need to be? I mean, podcasts are an interesting one. I think that's really cool. And, and there's a lot of, for SEO, is, is getting more, I, I'm going to be a bit controversial here, but SEO is getting more linked to real marketing than ever before. And so you have to think from a marketer's perspective is how do we get traction? How do we do these things? Where is my audience hanging out online? And think about those old school SEO things like where's my audience, you know, and where do they go? What podcast do they listen to? And I'm not a massive fan of the tool. I, I really, I like the idea of it, but also I'm not too, and I think the application of it's quite challenging. That Spark Toro from Rand Fishkin, in terms of get on there, find out what your audience is reading, find out where they they're hanging out, and figure out how to get in those publications is is an interesting one. You know, if you you know, it might not be easy to do. It might be easy to do. You don't know how. And also, do something worth talking about. And it's the old Seth Godin purple cow model in terms of you know, if you've got a business that's we're talking about people will find that now there's lots of hidden stories in your business is it growth is it investment is it is it you as an individual has a story that can be unearthed as a SaaS founder you know is there a need in the marketplace that you need to start talking about let's say let's say you're a SaaS that helps families reduce their outgoings through uh, uh, understanding their bank balances and i've just made a sass up let's hear that well that's quite an interesting story because you can actually help families to look at their audit their finances look for cost efficiencies and even maybe offer suggestions so you know that story is about the cost of living you know you're talking about the mission the mission also becomes important and you've got to say to yourself is how can i get this mission and this story and and our ideas out into the public and and then work backwards from there and that's not a hack it's 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 actually quite challenging, but an SEO agency is going to be mechanical in nature because they have to be, because they have to productize the SEO. But but marketing isn't mechanical in nature. It's creative. It's innovative. It's looking for opportunities. And I think that's where 
realistically, whereas you as, as a SaaS founder, if there's anyone in that startup space, it's to think outside the box, it's to look at the opportunities out there and then and then go at it. Now, you'll fail loads. They will fail loads trying it. It won't work. But it's that relentless thing that started somebody on the journey to be a, you know, to own their own SaaS company, to start it up, and is going to get them where they need to get. And don't be afraid to ask for links. That's one we don't do. Exactly. Totally agree. Brilliant. This has been super helpful. And I would just just add to that as well by don't get bogged down in the detail of the technical side. Just try and build the links in the way that we've described, the way that you've outlined and articulated so well. I think just get into the habit of doing that. Then further down the line, maybe start to think about the technical side, but just get started getting used to it, doing the outreach, building up those networks, building up those connections and posting and creating material that you're proud of, that you want to share and that other people will want to link to. So yeah, some fascinating insights into this. So I'll give you an example of this, a live example. So I don't know if you've ever used Glimpse and the Google Trends tool. Glimpse, yes, I have, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the founders of Glimpse jumped in my inbox the other day and I had a 30-minute conversation, Bob. It was a 45-minute conversation where we just chatted about search and things like that. Nothing more, nothing less. They just want to jump on a conversation. I like Glimpse. I'm really a fan of it. They jumped in and we had a chat. And that might lead to nowhere that might not lead to anything. It might lead to an opportunity somehow for a link. Who knows? Who cares? But the fact is they further the story of Glimpse and also gain some insights from me about how I use the tool, what I think of it, things like that, that, that's leveraging it. And that's a classic example. And how many founders would actually go and do that? It's probably quite rare to have that. But that's the kind of things, the things that don't scale sometimes give you the best opportunities in the future. Brilliant. What a place to end the call. Andy, thank you so much. Really appreciate the insights. Really enjoyed it. Love talking old school SEO any day of the week. Really, really enjoyed it. How can people find out more about you and also the newsletter that you've got, which I think is well worth everybody listening to this jumping on? Yeah, just give people a couple of things that they can do as next steps to to be more aware of the work that you're putting out there. Yeah, cool. So you can go to jbh.co.uk, which is our website, or just just Google, you know, what is digital PR? We show up on there, believe it or not. So I'm on LinkedIn. Go find me on LinkedIn. I post virtually daily. I mean, it's, it's rare that I miss a day. Uh, and I have a newsletter that's out every week that shows an interesting SEO case study that I've, I've seen and some insights. And that's pretty popular. So yeah, and then just connect with me. Say hi. You know, that's cool. Just don't tell me links. <laughs> Brilliant. Andy, thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed this conversation and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for your time. You too. No worries. Thank you. Thank you.